Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. This hour is brought to you by the cleanup and restoration specialist at SurfPro. Call 1-800-SURFPRO. And now... The third guy was Brian Barrett. He was good. Streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. Other sports shows can't compare it. And that's... Professor Barrett. This is the Brian Barrett Show. How about this juicy nugget? I think music is obnoxious. It's too loud. On Boston Sports Original. The way this works is you say something, I say something, you say something. That's how it works. You can't just keep talking. W-E-E-I. I'm feeling frisky now. I'm feeling very excited. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrett taking you up until midnight. So I'll get back to the Brady thing in just a second. I did want to get this, though. So... Our boss, Ken, Ken Laird, he sent me this stuff on the trading deadline. So first, this is from Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball GM. This is good stuff. The Red Sox trades Christian Vasquez to the Astros for Emmanuel Valdez and Will Jarabreu, acquired Tommy Pham from the Reds and a player to be named later, acquired Eric Hosmer, Max Ferguson, Corey Rozier, and cash considerations for Jay Groom. Jake Diekman to the White Sox for Reese McGuire and a player to be named later. He says the Red Sox were buying and selling at the deadline, but I'm not quite sure I understood their endgame. Vasquez was in there, was too important to that locker room and to their pitching staff to trade him for two position players. Okay, so first of all, I would just like to say this about the Vasquez situation. We've been through this all night. That part of... His analysis is just wrong. Now, if he wants to say they're missing the bat, sure, you can say that because Vasquez sitting 295 since the start of May. But Jim Bowden just isn't watching or he's not paying attention if he's saying that Vasquez is too important to the pitching staff. Avaldi with Vasquez, 498 ERA with Ploiecki, 396. Waka, 375 ERA with Vasquez, 0.40 with Ploiecki. Crawford, 303 with Ploiecki, 488 with Vasquez. Pavetta, and Hill have barely thrown to Ploiecki. So the numbers would just knock back that what back that up whatsoever. I'm not telling you Ploiecki is a good catcher. I'm just saying clearly there's something to working with Ploiecki than there is to Christian Vasquez. So that part of his calculus here, part of his point, makes zero sense. If he had just said they're going to miss Christian Vasquez's offense, you may have a point there. But to say that he's too important to the pitching staff, that's just not true. There's been criticism for years about the way that Vasquez calls the game. Now, Bowden adds, left fielder Tommy Pham, when you already have Alex Verdugo in left, and J.D. Martinez, a designated hitter, just didn't add up. Trading, I don't understand that. Why does that not make sense? Trading for Tommy Pham when you already have Alex Verdugo in left. Well, 
you can push Alex Verdugo to right like Alex Cora said they were doing. I, I don't understand why that's a point by him. I'm not telling you that Tommy Pham is one of the best players in the sport, but he has a good hard hit rate north of 46%, and he walks. He walks almost 11% of the time, which is by far the most on the Red Sox. So the Red Sox don't have that type of hitter. That's why he's hitting early in the lineup second today. He's hitting there because he actually walks, and he does make loud contact. We've seen that since the past couple of nights. So that, that makes no sense to me either from Jim Bowden. Because they have Alex Verdugo in left, why would they take on Tommy Pham? Well, Alex Verdugo can play right, and you got an offensive upgrade over Jackie Bradley Jr. I don't understand his point there. Okay, he goes on to say, trading for Eric Hosmer, uh, Hosmer rather, and taking on some of his salary in return for gaining two prospects made some sense. But it also will block first base prospect Tristan Cassis and let Bobby Dahlback know he's not good enough. He's not. I mean, don't you think Bobby Dahlbeck already knows he's not good enough? And it doesn't block Tristan Cassis. If Cassis was raking right now at the minor league level, he would be up here. Now, he's starting to get it going a little bit, but he hasn't quite frankly been good since he came back from the injury. And it's going to take some time. But if you look at Cassis at the minor league level, yeah, he hits for some power. But do you realize he's hitting 243 this year in AAA in 202 plate appearances? Maybe part of the solution here is, or maybe the idea with the front office and Alex Cora to a lesser extent, is they want him to get more seasoning. They said that multiple times at the beginning of the season. They didn't want to rush him up. They've done that before. Look at Duran last year, completely overmatched. Heck, look at Jeter Downs right now when he was up here before he got sent back down, completely overmatched. Tristan Cassis is one of the top two prospects in the organization. You want to make sure he's 100% ready. You don't want to rush him up out of necessity. We saw what happened with Bayo in his first couple of outings. So I'm totally fine with that. And by the way, if Cassis is ready to be the everyday first baseman next year, Hosmer's not going to be here. They'll find a way to get rid of him. He also goes, the Dahlback thing is just a joke. Everybody knows Dahlback's not good. He goes, Hosmer will probably be released in the offseason, which makes me wonder if all this is worth it for two mid-level prospects that will never start for you. Well, they don't like Groom anymore. Heim Bloom's group doesn't like Groom, so they moved on from Gloom, uh, from, from Groom rather. They brought in a couple of prospects, and they got a guy that could play first base every day. So part of the calculus was to get the first baseman here. I don't understand his point there. He goes on to say, dumping Jake Diekman's multi-year contract was smart, but overall for a team so close in the wild card race, trading Vasquez and adding Pham and Hosmer just didn't add up. I don't agree with him whatsoever. He is overrating what Vasquez means to the pitching staff. He is underrating how bad Bobby Dahlback is, talking about telling Bobby Dahlback he's not good enough. We know he's not good enough. And the Fam Verdugo point, that's just for this guy was running a team. Think about how scary that was. Jim Bowden was running a team, and he's saying that you shouldn't have brought Tommy Fam in because Verdugo plays left. This is unbelievable. This stuff was published. This is an absolutely horrific take. All right, let's get to Chad Jennings from The Athletic. This makes a lot of sense. Man, Jim Bowden. I, ca- I cannot believe this guy ran a team. What a terrible take on the Reds. Has he watched the Red Sox at all? Did he take any amount of time to look at the numbers here? This was horrible. I mean, my God, this thing was published. All right, Chad Jennings. Ultimately, the players got what they wanted. A chance to prove they're better than what they've shown the past four months. Completely agree with that. Bloom is viewed by some as too focused on the future. We agree on that. But if anything, he was reckless in the opposite direction, banking on better health and improved performance to make the Red Sox relevant during the stretch, or down the stretch, rather. 
leaving the bullpen unaddressed was a curious choice. That's why I, I don't understand that either. So clearly he decided at the trading deadline, did Bloom, he was going to be a buyer, but he didn't do anything about the bullpen. Outside of first base, your biggest need was clearly an arm in the bullpen, and he bought, right? He got Hosmer, even though that was like gift-wrapped for him. He got Tommy Pham. So you brought in additional players. You got Reese McGuire after you sent Vasquez away. Why didn't you get a bullpen arm? I, I don't understand that at all. He said Bloom could have justified a rebuild. Instead, he chipped away a little, added a little, and left the bigger decisions for the offseason. That's a good take by Chad Jennings. That is well written, and that makes a lot of sense. I pretty much agree with everything he said here. Now, the article from Jim Bowden is just an absolute joke. I cannot believe he publishes. I Does he have editors? Do his editors not read this? I mean, this is one of the worst takes I have seen. This guy was running a team. The Red Sox were buying and selling at the deadline, but I'm not quite sure I understood their endgame. Vasquez was too important in the locker room and to their pitching staff. Jim, go, go look at the numbers. Vasquez in terms of the ERAs with these guys. I mean, what an absolute joke. Unreal. Okay, so if you do want to wait in the trading deadline, you certainly can. 617-779-7937, the number. I do agree with Chad Jennings' point, too. It's the point I've been making for the past couple of days. He caved to the players. Hein Bloom did. So, Hein Bloom is not only so far in his tenure incompetent, but he also has no balls. <laughs> he completely caved to the players. All right, I don't want to get back to the Brady thing, though. So, the fact that Brady was being recruited by the Dolphins and going back and forth with the Dolphins in his final season here. Does it piss you off as a Patriots fan? 617-779-7937 is the number. And this, to me, is more about whatever happened between Brady and Belichick, the Guerrero thing, et cetera, than it is in and of itself, Tom Brady in particular, right? It's not just about Brady. It's about organizational failure. Because you were in a situation, and look, I, you can't really say failure with the Patriots. They won six Super Bowls, right? But the fact that it got to a place where Brady was so upset with the contractual situation, that's a problem from Bill Belichick and company, right? Now, you would have liked Brady to be more dialed in. I mean, and the fact that he's up at the podium saying he's the most miserable 8-0 quarterback in the NFL, I didn't care for that comment. Because at that particular point in time, the defense was getting celebrated. So we're giving those guys credit. And Tom's up there at the podium moping. I get he was pissed off with the performance of the offense and all that. But you got to put on a better face than that. And Tom's been one of the best ever at being able to do that after a game. And I felt like that was a bad look. And the most miserable 8-0 quarterback of all time. I hated that. I hated that quote. I felt like, okay, now we know what's really going on as it pertains to the locker room. Not the locker room situation, but the Brady-Belichick situation. But I just don't understand. Now that we know all this, and the Patriots had an idea of this, right? This is what makes no sense to me whatsoever. So Tom Brady's getting recruited by the Dolphins. The Patriots know he's a flight risk. He argues to not have, or I don't even know if he really argued. He just got the clause in his contract where he couldn't be franchised. So the Patriots, knowing all this stuff, knowing that Brady was a flight risk, they willingly decided, hey, we're not giving him an extension, right? They didn't give him a two-year, $50 million deal like, of course, Drew Brees got with the New Orleans Saints. They didn't give him any of that. So why didn't they have a better plan, right? So they knew that Tom Brady was going to leave. They factored that in. They gave him the clause in his contract where he could not be franchised. 
So to me, the biggest storyline here is like we always felt like the Patriots were ill prepared when Tom Brady left. But knowing all this, like we didn't know at the time that the Dolphins were recruiting Tom Brady. Knowing all this information, it still looks so bad that the Patriots had no backup plan for Tom Brady. And really think about it for a second. Go back to prior to the 2020 season. They were going into all their offseason stuff with who? Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer. Remember, they didn't even make the Cam move until what, July? Like at the end of the offseason when Cam had no other takers. So they legitimately had no plan whatsoever for Brady. Now, maybe Belichick's ultimate plan was, hey, if we suck, we suck, whatever. We'll get a high draft pick and we'll take a quarterback. Because we would find out, of course, that Bill would take a quarterback in the 2021 draft in Mac Jones. But it sort of felt like that one with the Patriots got, well, I should say that one with the Patriots is kind of lucky, right? I mean, think about it. Think about all the things that had to happen for the Patriots to get Mac Jones. One, they needed to have a stacked quarterback class, right? I mean, think about this past year with the quarterback class. Weren't a lot of guys that you're like, hey, they're definitely going in the top five. They're definitely going in the top ten, right? I mean, there wasn't really like a definitive guy that you looked at and you said, yeah, that's a franchise quarterback. There wasn't that type of player. It's the Malik Willis's of the world, the Kenny Pickett's of the world. There weren't those type of guys. So the Patriots had to be lucky that that quarterback class featured Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and, of course, the guy you ended up with in Mac Jones. So <laughs> they needed that to happen. And then secondarily, they needed the 49ers to decide. Remember, because the reporting was that the Niners wanted Mac Jones. Remember that? Everyone's like, well, you don't trade that many draft picks for Mac Jones. Everybody thought, okay, they took, they could be taking Mac Jones. So when you look at it from that perspective, they also needed the guy that they wanted to be left standing there because obviously the Patriots didn't want Fields or they would have had to have traded up. That's another thing they sort of lucked out with. No other team decided to come up and trade over them to take Mac Jones. So all that stuff had to happen just for them to land with Mac Jones prior to the 2021 season or prior to the 2021 draft. And look, I give the Patriots credit for like staying put there. I wouldn't have been able to do it. If I was Belichick and company and I knew Mac Jones is the quarterback that I wanted, there's no way that I was going to be able to do that. But think about that. That's how you got your next franchise quarterback. And you needed to go through the year of Cam Newton where we would find out the guy was absolutely horrible. He couldn't throw anymore. I mean, no disrespect to Cam. It's just... The guy was cooked when he came to the Patriots. I didn't dislike Cam like some other people did in this town. I didn't have an issue with him. But he's just a bad player at that particular point in time. So you need to go through the Cam year. And then you eventually draft Mac at 15th overall. But it's very rare that you can get a quarterback of Mac's stature at number 15. Like if Mac is in this past draft, he's going in the top five. So the Patriots got lucky that that quarterback class was considered to be stacked. Now we'll see what all those guys are long term. But because that quarterback class was stacked, you got Mac. So think about where we're at right now. If Mac Jones and that situation doesn't play itself out where there are five legitimate first-round quarterbacks, the Patriots are still looking for a quarterback? I mean, think about how bad of a look that would have been for the Patriots if they were still searching for the Brady replacement. So, man, did Belichick and company get bailed out by Mac Jones. All right, 617 7937 the number. Brian Barry taking you up until midnight. Okay, so two things on the table. If you want to wait on the trading deadline, did you like what Heinblum did? 
That's on the table. Plus, we'll continue to get into this Brady situation. Does it make you change your mind about Tom Brady that he was talking to the Dolphins when he was still a member of the Patriots? We'll address that next here on EI. Merloni, Fourier, and Mega. I think that Bloom's like passive patient approach is wearing on an awful lot of people in this organization, not just in that locker room. I think they're wondering what the plan is. What are we doing? His goal is winning baseball year to year, and you haven't even had that. You don't have that right now. So I think it's fair at this point to hold his feet to the fire and say, where is this going? Did you miss something? Listen to the podcast. Podcast on the Odyssey app or at WEEI.com. Berloni, Fourier, and Mego. Afternoons 2 to 6 on New England Sports Original. WEEI. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WEEI Late Night. On Boston Sports Original. WEEI. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrett taking you up until midnight, 617-779-7937, the number. If you want to weigh in on the Brady situation or the situation with the Red Sox, the trading deadline certainly can. Let's get to Sean. Sean is in Worcester. What's up, Sean? Hey, Brian. Uh, since when did we move to Florida? Since when did we because... move to Florida? I didn't move to Florida. What do you mean? Yeah, because yeah, it just seems like we're turning into Tampa Bay. Oh, okay. Where where they always had 500 teams and everything like that. 
Oh, in fairness, they were winning a lot of games, Sean. They weren't and, winning. They weren't five hundred. And they, and they, you know, they, they, you know, they get these stats and they trade them away and get rid of them. They won't pay them. Uh, they, you know, I, I, I think High and Bloom is in the big lights right now, and he's he's in he, the what? Yeah, he, 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 you know, he's he's in the big light now. You know, in the big time now. Yeah, and uh, he, he can't. He, he doesn't know what to do. He hasn't. He hasn't gotten us a starter. He finally got us a first baseman. He uh, hasn't gotten a reliever. So is he on the hot seat, there, Sean? There, there is. There is no. There is no closer. The the closer should be Whitlock. Well, they got help back uh, there, Sean. In fairness. Yeah, but the closer should be Whitlock. Well, they like Whitlock in the multi-inning roles, though. That's the problem. Yeah, but do do you really think that um, Hulk is doing that great of a job as being I think he's doing pretty good, Sean. He wasn't great at first, but, yeah, I think he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, but he he just seems like he doesn't have enough, I think. think, uh, All right, Sean, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. There are a lot of issues with this team. I don't believe Tanner Houck is one of them right now. I'm fine with Tanner Houck at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, he makes me nervous at times because sometimes he, he's got his stuff is so nasty he has a difficult time harnessing it. But I don't want Whitlock to be the closer because what I want from Whitlock is Whitlock to be that multi-inning bullpen type guy like we've seen from him since he was activated from the injured list and he went back into the bullpen. That's the role I'd prefer for Whitlock rather than a guy like Tanner Houck. So I'm fine with the roles there. I do look at the bullpen right now and you say, okay, Schreiber's obviously really good. Although, Schreiber, they're going to make sure the big three of Schreiber, Houck, and Whitlock get to the finish line. If you look at Schreiber, this dude has pitched a lot of innings this year for what he's done throughout his major league career, which is an interesting thing. So if you look at Schreiber throughout his career, and if you look at him since coming to the Red Sox, he was basically a non-entity. Schreiber was not that good of a pitcher. And really, he sucked. So it's a good find by Bloom. I give him credit for that. But if you look at Schreiber, he's thrown 28 innings since the start of June. That's the sixth most among relievers. 40.2 innings on the season. His previous high was 15 and two-thirds. So here's the thing. These are the three guys. Now, Whitlock and Schreiber more so than Houck. But these are the three weapons that you have in the bullpen right now. Whitlock, Schreiber, and Houck. The problem is, outside of those three guys, you have questions with everybody else. If you look at a guy like Austin Davis, well, like we saw last night, he has a propensity to walk the ballpark. The walk rate is north of 10.5%, which is in the lower third of relievers in Major League Baseball. That's always going to be a concern, and we know he cannot pitch to righties. He gets lefties out, but he cannot pitch to righties whatsoever. Okay, so then the other guys in the bullpen are Saul Mora, who, granted, he looked good last night. He hasn't been dependable All season long. You look at a guy like Matt Strom. Strom is at a situation right now where he's still making his way back from the injured list, much like a guy like Trevor Story. He took a ball off his hand or wherever it was with Strom. He's still dealing with that issue. But the other thing about Strom is this. First 25 games, he was nasty. 232 opponents batting average. Last eight games, 281. 115 whip his first 25, 143 his past seven and two-thirds. So those are your two lefties. Austin Davis walks the ballpark, and Strom has not been good lately. 
Now, Brazier sort of turned his season around, and then he kind of turned back into a pumpkin. So it's really three guys that you can say that you feel good about. And Brazier, maybe to a lesser extent, but I don't trust him now. I did a little bit earlier in the season. Austin Davis, I don't trust. Matt Strom, I don't trust. So that's the problem with the bullpen is my issue is not with Hulk being at the back end. My issue is it's just not deep enough. We knew that prior to the season. And Bloom, if he was going to build around this team like he did adding Pham, adding Eric Hosmer, why didn't he add a reliever? 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Phil in New Bedford. Hey, Phil. Hey, I'm flipping a coin here. I don't know if he's in a cast iron pan or a brand new small cooking grill because the pressure of the team being boisterous for the last 11 days before the trade, the fans are not showing up in at the ballpark. Total sales of all memorabilia is down compared to where it was when they were on that hot streak, which kind of makes sense. I believe that had he sent JD out and anybody who's been here for the last five or six years, anybody, doesn't matter who that was, by the end of the season, they'd be pushing to get him out of there and they'd be leaning on the ownership. So do you think Phil... He hasn't proven himself. He screwed yeah. up too many times, not just a mistake. So do you think, Phil, that that was the mandate from upstairs? Hey, don't trade J.D., yes. don't yes. trade... Interesting. I, I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I do think, to your point, Phil, they felt the pressure of the players, they felt the pressure of the manager, and maybe some of it is. And I was at some of those games recently, Phil, and I'll tell you, I've been at pretty much every home game over the past month. I'll tell you this, crowd ain't filling up. Crowd is not filling up like it used to. Now, maybe now, Phil... A friend of mine is a vendor on the outside. He's been up there for 12 years as a vendor, outside vendor. And he says the numbers are down. Yeah. No, they definitely are. And, Phil, this is the other thing I'll say is, okay, maybe they... Okay, if they go to Kansas City, say they take three out of four and even maybe sweep because Kansas City's atrocious, maybe they build up some energy here in terms of maybe people, in terms of the fan base, will be excited now that... They know all these guys are coming back, right? Because I think that was part of it is they felt like all these players are going to be gone now. Bogarts in all likelihood has gone after the season. JD gone after the season. But maybe that's sort of a rallying cry. And the next time you're home, you do have the reigning defending World Series champs in the Atlanta Braves. So maybe they do get a little bit of, of a boost here. And I, I also think what's important here is you and I have discussed this way back here in April and all the way through. The fact that he totally disrespected Bogey and Devers and we waited till the week of the trade deadline. No, we ain't letting these guys go. You could have taken a lot of stress out of that, out of that locker room. Yeah, and you saw Bogarts go. Bogarts there's still no pissed. practical reason why. And like to give a shout out, Andy Hopps gonna like this one. Uh, yesterday, the team represent uh, twelve and under for Haven uh, Little League team from which is right next to New Bedford. Andy Hopps, this is our territory down here. Mm-hmm. They're going to represent um, Massachusetts. Friday night, they're playing Connecticut to, rep- to represent the regionals. Big shout-out to these kids, and that's right, graduated. But Where is it again, Phil? Say that again. Cal Ripken, 12 and under. 12 their and World under. Series is in Missouri. This starts Friday. Awesome. And Fairhaven, the team from Fairhaven is representing all of Massachusetts. They're playing a team from Connecticut at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then, because over there at that tournament, they break it down. You go and play a tournament within the tournament, so you find out who represents the regional, then you start the full tournament. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, congratulations to those kids. in Massachusetts, so. Congratulations to those kids. Always a pleasure, my friend. You too. Have a good night, my friend. That's awesome. My town one year made it to the Little League World Series. Peabody. They made it one year. 
They didn't win it, but they made it all the way to Williamsport, which is pretty good. So they won the regional. Good for those kids. Let's get to Art. Art is in Connecticut. Artie, what's up, man? There he is. There's Brian. What's going hey, on? I, I want to go back. No, I'm hanging in there. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just, it's, we were here in the stretch now, August, September. Um, you know, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to apologize. I mean, I, maybe it's the wrong word saying apologize, but, you know, I called you last week and I, and I, I took Tanner Houck to task. I, I, I really said he, he wasn't a close. His, his last two outings against Houston, uh, they were pretty special. What do you think about Tanner Houck's last two outings? Yeah, I think he's really good. He's keeping the ball on the ground, which is always great art. He does, like, I do get a little nervous with him out there, though. Like, he's not the Koji type where you knew, okay, here comes an automatic three outs, right? Or a Papelbon, here comes an automatic three outs. I do feel like he lives on the edge a little too much for me at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of talks about about Trevor, about, uh, about Story and, and Kike coming back. Maybe I'm not hearing it quite. I, I know you, you talk about it all the time. You know, there's a hairline fracture with Story in his, I think in his hand. And Kike was sent back to a specialist. Do you really believe, do you really believe, Ryder, these two are on the, are they going to make it back this year? Well, the Kike one is definitely concerning, Art, and so is the Story one. It, it, this is what I don't understand about the Story situation, Art. So... We all know he got hit in the hand. We all saw it against the New York Yankees. So he goes to see a hand specialist, and they say there's no broken bone or anything along those lines. And they actually told us, the Red Sox did, that they were hopeful they weren't going to have to put him on the I.L. They actually said that. They didn't think he'd have to go on the I.L. Of course he did. And it was only going to be a couple games because it was the All-Star break. It turned out to be a lot longer than that. But how does the first specialist art not see the hairline fracture? I know it's in, like, technically a different part of his hand, but how does nobody see that? Yeah. Hey, you paid a lot of money. You yeah. You paid a lot of money. Unreal. Now, Cora did say yeah. that this hairline fracture does not affect the timeline of him returning. He was still going to do another 10 days without baseball activities. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, last thing. And, and I know this is a real reach. I already know how you feel about him. But Bobby did this. Right, Bobby did this last year. Remember, remember when Schwarber got brought in? Yeah, he got hot. He was relinquish. He refused to relinquish his spot. He goes, I don't care. I'm playing first. I don't care. I'm going to try to hold down the fort. I mean, I mean, you, you almost think, you know, and I and I can't wait to see, um, you know, Hosmer tomorrow night. But um, I think you know, you know, Alex is going to play this. He's going to play this careful. He's not going to automatically say, "Look, Bobby, you're lucky if you sniff sniff a game every two weeks." I think he's going to play the matchups and, and see what happens. Thanks for taking my call, Brian. Talk to you later. Appreciate it, Art. Yeah, he's Bobby is heating up a little bit. He's got a hit in five of his last seven. And to Art's point, we did see this happen last year. Now, here's the thing that's working against Dahlbeck in terms of getting playing time is the numbers on Hosmer. So Hosmer is an interesting guy. We went through some of his numbers earlier in terms of he has the highest ground ball rate in all of Major League Baseball. But another thing about Hosmer is he's a reverse splits guy. You don't see that a ton with hitters. You see that with pitchers all the time based on their stuff. Like if a guy's got a really good curveball or something along those lines, he may be better against lefties than righties because of the fact that you're going to throw that pitch a lot more to lefties if you're a right-handed pitcher. But the thing about Eric Hosmer is he's hitting 330 against lefties. He's not hitting righties whatsoever. So... I just don't see 
when Dahlback plays, because obviously you would think that the matchup would be, okay, well, Dahlback's going to play because the lefty's on the mound, right? And you would take a guy like Hosmer out of the lineup, but Hosmer's a reverse splits guy. So how do you justify doing that? So I see Bobby losing the majority of his playing time. And we already know that Franchi got sent down to AAA. So I I just don't see him getting much time going forward. I think they're just going to roll with Hosmer. Now, Alex Cora did reveal earlier today, prior to the game, that he's sticking with the alignment that we saw today. So basically, the outfield alignment is Jaron Duran in center field, which I don't know why he's just automatically the center fielder over Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, maybe the idea of this is, all right, let's let Duran play every day. Let's see if he can improve defensively, and let's see if we can get his value up from an offensive player. Whether it's going to be for us or whether it's going to be a move in the offseason, I got to imagine that's part of the calculus there because I just wouldn't be playing Duran definitively every day because Jackie Bradley Jr. is such a plus on the defensive side of things. And if you look at Jaron Duran, I get he had that game the other night against the Astros where he had the idiotic quotes after the game where he's talking about, if you doubted us, don't come back, don't cheer for us. That statement that he I still have no idea why he makes that. Let the big guys on the team handle that. But if you look at him in the month of July, he hit 184 with a 228 on base percentage. So those numbers are worse than Jackie Bradley Jr., right? So I, I don't understand if Duran isn't hitting, why does he need to be in the lineup? I, at times, would prioritize defense and put Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field Instead of Jaron Duran. Now, I understand why you're putting Tommy Pham in there. And I understand, obviously, we know Verdugo is going to play every day. So that makes sense to me. Now, if you just wanted to announce the alignment, like Pham's going to be the left fielder, Verdugo's going to be the right fielder, that's fine. But I have no idea what Duran has done to deserve playing in center field every day. And I'm not telling you that Jackie Bradley Jr. has done anything to say, hey, he should be playing every day. Now, he's one of the best defensive fielders in the sport, we all understand that, but I'm not saying that he needs to be in the lineup every day. I just don't think Jaron Duran does either. Does anybody look at Jaron Duran right now and say, hey, he's going to be playing every day? That, to me, is the portion of the equation that just doesn't factor in. I get the fam element. I get the Verdugo element to say, hey, fam's going to be better in left. Verdugo can play better in right field. I get all that, although I am slightly worried about Verdugo in right field at Fenway because if you look at Verdugo this season... He's really not having a good defensive season. And last year he had a bunch of outfield assists. Like it felt like everybody on the Red Sox had a bunch of outfield assists led by Renfro, but Kike did as well. I just look at Alex Verdugo and I don't see a lot a guy out there that has a lot of range. And we all know right field is more difficult to play than center field at Fenway and more difficult, of course, to play than left field at Fenway. And so essentially you're taking Alex Verdugo who this season is a negative two defensive run saves in left field. In 2021, he was minus seven defensive run saved in center field in 337 innings. Think about that. He's only played eight innings at right field this year. And last year in 173 innings, he was a plus one defensive run save. So I guess that's the hope that he's got the experience there and he can figure it out. Obviously, we found out last year he couldn't play in center. Remember, he lost that ball on the side. I feel like that's a something that happens to this Red Sox team. All the time. I don't like the fact that now, I guess you could say to some extent, Fam's got some pop with that hard hit rate over 46%. You would like to see a little bit more pop in the outfield, but I guess the hope is that when Trevor Story comes back, you have Devers 
and you have Story that bolted for Pop. And I'm optimistic about Bogarts because I feel like Bogarts is swinging the bat a lot better than he was prior to the All-Star break. He's hitting more balls in the air. The numbers would tell you that. That's what makes me feel optimistic going forward about him. Is he's actually making some contact, some loud contact, and it's going in the air, which that had been the problem for Bogarts for a significant amount of time, that he was making some loud contact. Now, not as much as he was making in April and May, but the problem was a lot of it was on the ground. Bogarts is third in Major League Baseball and hits on the ground. But I am excited to watch his stretch run for the Red Sox because just from a pure human element to all this, I like the fact that these guys that I watched win a World Series are getting an opportunity. It would have been such a sad ending for Nate and JD and Bogarts and Devers and that core group together if it was just a yard sale and all those pieces were being sent to different organizations. Like seeing JD on the Mets and maybe Nate on the Phillies and Bogarts somewhere else, maybe the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals or something like that. I was going to say the Arizona Cardinals, confusing my uh, football and my Major League Baseball, but that would have sucked to see that, how it, that's the way that it was going to end here. And the other thing is just like, do you really want Bloom making those type of trades? I certainly don't. We saw what the return was for Mookie. We've seen what the return is for Andrew Benintendi. I just don't want Bloom making those type of trades with star players because it feels like every time he makes that type of trade, he gets completely ripped off. All right, 617 7937 the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So a couple of things. If you do want to weigh in on the Tom Brady tampering part of the situation with the Miami Dolphins, you certainly can. And to me, the one other element to this that nobody's really talking about. We'll do that next year on EA. The Red Sox Station. Sports Original. W-E-E-I Late Night. On W-E-E-I. Boston Sports Original. All right, so the trading deadline in the rear view for the Red Sox. They did play well this week, two of three from the Houston Astros. It is bizarre to me that the Red Sox have a winning record against the Houston Astros, who, for my money, are the best team of the American League. They're a more complete team than the Yankees because of their starting rotation. Now, the Yankees' rotation is fine, but Cole continually is underwhelming in big spots. In fact, he was atrocious today. Not that it's a big spot, but it was supposed to be this big pitching matchup, Cole versus Castillo, and Cole got his ass lit up. Now, they did bring in Frankie Montas to be sort of that number two to Garrett Cole. Nestor Cortez is in that rotation. I've never really bought into the Cortez stuff. And Jordan Montgomery's out of there, so that means you got Jamison Tyone and... When you look at their situation from a health perspective, Luis Severino's on the 60-day. So that's obviously a concern for them in terms of their health situation there. And then you look at the Astros. They have Verlander and Framber Valdez. Now, the Red Sox didn't see either one of those guys, which is good because they're both freaking nasty. Framber Valdez gets more ground balls than anybody in the sport. And then Justin Verlander is probably going to win the Cy Young. He's got the best ERA in Major League Baseball. And... <laughs> The guy, not that I, I'm not the biggest pitching win stat, but the guy's got 14 wins. I mean, that's going to account for something, and he's coming back from Tommy John, and we know what those guys do in the postseason, the Altuves of the world. Tucker has been ice cold lately. Hopefully he gets, well, I shouldn't say hopefully. I don't like the Astros, but if he gets out of his funk, that makes that lineup even more dynamic because we know what Alvarez is, one of the best power hitters in the entire sport. The guy's a freak show. Even that one he hit last night, man, to left center field. 
He barely touched that thing. I still have nightmares about what he did to Chris Sale in the postseason a year ago where he was just hit one over the wall over to left field over the monster, and then he pegged the wall twice. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. So I would take the Astros over the Yankees in a series, and I do think there is something to the Yankees coming undone, that core group of Yankees. I'm not talking about the Yankees of the past and the 90s. I'm talking about this core group of Yankees. I do think that's a vulnerable team when you get into the postseason. That's why I'm just so relieved that the Red Sox didn't just completely sell off pieces and say the hell with it. We're just giving up. I wanted them to go in, and I feel like at this particular point in time, that's exactly what they did in terms of they at least stayed the course. Now, I don't think that Bloom did enough at the trading deadline if the idea was to win because I believe what they needed to do is add a bullpen arm along with that first baseman, the first baseman you lucked out on, and you didn't get the bullpen arm. So the two things I felt were the number one and number two priorities. They didn't address them except the first base situation because it was handed to them. So number two on my list, bullpen, they didn't do that. Now, they did add an outfielder, which is nice, but i much rather them get a bullpen arm that was a legitimate weapon rather than just going with this group right now because they really have no lefties. They have Strom, who's dealing with an injury right now and had completely fallen off a cliff, and Davis is just not consistent enough with throwing strikes. So I would have liked him to see them add another reliever in general, but I wouldn't have minded somebody from the left side. The Hill start today was very concerning. He was horrible. And the problem with Rich Hill is... He has no margin for error because if you look at Rich Hill on the season, and this is not like new for Rich Hill, but he doesn't miss bats whatsoever. I mean, that's been going on the majority of his career, right? It's not like he doesn't even have 90. The guy's throwing 88, 89 mile an hour fastballs. So a lot of it has to do with his control, being able to, he's second behind Adam Wainwright and called strike percentage he needs to be because he's not going to get anybody to miss. But you look at it today, right? 32 swings, five whiffs. That's 15.6%, which is absolutely horrible. There's nobody under 17% as a qualified starter. I mean, this is Winkowski-level numbers. And on the season, the good thing is he prevents loud contact. 34.6% hard hit rate. That's in the 76th percentile. But today, 14 batted balls, 7 hard hit, 50%. He just cannot live that way. If he's not going to miss any bats, he needs to at least prevent loud contact. Now, he couldn't do either today. Now, I'm hopeful that maybe because of the fact that he's in a situation where he's just coming back from an injury, that next time out is going to be better. But I never feel like any time Rich Hill's going to the mound, like I'm 100% confident he's going to throw the ball well. A lot of times there's a really good opportunity that he could get his ass lit up, like what transpired today. Once in a while, he'll be painting and it feel like he'll be going, but you just want to make sure, hey, do we get him out in the fifth? Do we get him out four and two-thirds into this thing. Like, we got to make sure we get him out before he gets tagged. I mean, we saw the Dodgers do that a little bit prematurely in a World Series a couple of years ago. But you get my point. I do worry about Hill, and I worry about Pavetta. So I feel like if you're looking for what are the biggest question marks with this team down the stretch, the health of Trevor Story, to a lesser extent the health of Kike Hernandez and Chris Sale, because I, I just can't pencil in Sale at this point anymore. I can't do it. I mean, I just never know with that guy. And that was a freak injury. This guy has a lot of freak injuries. I mean, the guy, what, fractured his rib throwing, just throwing a baseball. Not like he ran into something or he's playing pickup basketball or something crazy or he got tackled. He was throwing a baseball and he fractured his rib. That crap shouldn't happen to a guy. So he's snake bitten by all these different type of things. And then in terms of the bullpen, it's can Strom or Davis show up? Because you feel confident about three of those guys and Hulk, Schreiber, and Whitlock in no particular order. But after that, that bullpen situation tails off. Oh, and one other thing is the Bogarts and 
JD power numbers. Bogart seems like he's on a nice little streak here where he's hitting for a little bit of power. Let's see if JD can do the same thing. JD got a day off today, so hopefully he'll get things going in Kansas City. Oh, one more thought on the Brady situation before we leave. I wanted to get to that. Is what I think is just bad for this team is I'm not saying that Brady wasn't trying his hardest when he's on the field because he clearly was. But the fact that it got to a contract situation where it was so bad, where Brady was so pissed off at Robert Kraft. And Brady, remember, he held that, not that he held it, but when he talked to the press one day before the 19 season, he said, when he was asked about, hey, should you get an extension? He says, why don't you talk to Mr. Kraft? So he clearly wanted to be here. He wanted to sign an extension with the Patriots. And once that extension, the Drew Brees extension, was not given to Tom Brady, that's when he felt like, okay, I got to figure out what else is out there. And that's when this whole tampering situation happened with the Miami Dolphins. So the fact that the relationship got to that point, I just don't understand what Belichick's play was there. If you just give Brady the contract, okay, well, then you're going to get a better attitude from the player and your relationship was already icy. And it'd be one thing if Belichick at that point in time, in 2019, still had Garoppolo, right? I would understand Bill doing that if Garoppolo was still part of the organization, right? Where he said, all right, well, now I have my plan after Brady. Now I have Tom's successor. I can just start Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, in that case, it would make a lot of sense. But the fact that the situation behind Tom Brady was Jarrett Stidham and then it was going to be Brian Hoyer, to me, and I say this ordinarily about Hein Bloom, but that's front office malpractice. You had no plan, no plan whatsoever to replace the greatest quarterback in the history of the league. And just in closing, before we wrap up for tonight, I still, it shocks me right now to see the punishment that Steven Ross and the Dolphins get. I, I don't know how you do that. How do they only get a first and a third round pick where they tampered with three different teams? They didn't even get a draft pick docked for each tampering situation. Remember, they tampered with Brady on the Patriots and the Bucks, and they tampered with Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints. So from my perspective, it should be at least three draft picks, and they should all be first round draft picks. It shouldn't be a first and a third. This is a really big crime within the league. And if I'm Robert Kraft, I'm the Glazer family. I'm the Benson family. I am irate at Steven Ross, and I want him the hell out of there. Because that crap cannot... There's supposed to be at least some sort of understanding between owners. Yes, you're competing with each other, but there has to be some level of understanding. And clearly that, Steven Ross violated that sort of relationship with all the other owners. Thanks to Justin Turpin for producing. I'll be back with you Friday. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.